Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our uh, midweek service, and we're glad to have you with us. It's a joy and a blessing to know that you're uh, watching, and hopefully that we can take some time together in the Word of God to feed your soul, to encourage you, to give you correction if that's necessary, and also just to give you some affirmation that your faith is uh, not in vain. Sometimes we question, and sometimes the world and other people, even other Christians sometimes question us, is it worth it? Why do you put up with all of this? Kind of like um, Job's wife, the one person who should have been kind of in his corner says, curse God and die. And sometimes you kind of get the impression there are people that kind of give you the uh, sense and the feeling that what you're doing and what you're putting up with and what you're going through and what you're enduring is uh, not really not really worth it. And especially lost people would say that. I wouldn't go through what you're going through. I wouldn't choose to do that. How could a loving God ever allow anything like this to happen to someone like you? And, you know, every once in a while we sort of ask that question ourselves, don't we? And it's a, a difficult thing. So I know you're all either coming out of a storm, going into a storm, um, or you're in the midst of reprieve where you are heading toward a storm. Uh, it's just a part of life. Sometimes they're not consequential. Sometimes they're little, and sometimes we go through it and we go, well, that was easy. And then other times, of course, they are um, very big. I would like to ask you to be praying for Danny Hudler as he recovers from his oral cancer surgery. Uh, very extensive, very long surgery and a lot of reconstruction. And he's got a long way to go and uh, keep praying for him. And at the same time, do you know of anybody in the church that is struggling with their marriage? Um, I know some. And uh, we need to pray for them and we need to uphold them and minister to them and help in any way that we can. Because whenever we talk about somebody having reconstructive surgery, as uh, hard as that is and as long as that takes, the same thing is true in putting a marriage back together. A lot of reconstruction has to happen and a rebuilding of, of trust. And so uh, we need to pray for people and pray for one another. When you're talking about somebody who is, uh, they've lost a job or something like that, or they've got rebellious children, when you think about all of the problems and trials that come into our lives, we need to really be praying. So um, as I do every week, I encourage you to go to our website, gracewayokc.org. And uh, when you go there, you can go under events and you can download the newsletter. And the newsletter not only has a calendar of events, those type of things, but it uh, also has a prayer list. We, uh, during this week, our students are at camp in Tallahena and um, Kaimichi Baptist Assembly at Summit Camp there. Pray for them and pray that God will do something great in their life. And children's camp is coming up. Be in prayer for that. And so is Vacation Bible School. And so uh, all of these things that, are, uh, that we weren't able to do last year, we're doing them this year. 
and pray that God will bless them as well as pray for Sunday. Pray for Brother Dale and his choice of songs. Pray for uh, our instrumentalists and our praise team and the choir and pray for the congregation. Pray that we won't just be people who sit and listen, but that we'll participate. Worship is a verb and that we will join in and sing and sing with joy in our hearts and let the spirit um, minister to us and move us as truth is uh, uh, realized and proclaimed through the singing. Pray for me and pray that God would bless sermon preparation. Pray that God would bless my health. Pray that God would bless the delivery of the sermon and give us ears to hear what God would say in his word. Oh, and pray for people who watch by live stream. We have people watching in uh, California and in Texas and in Arkansas. We have people that are watching in Minnesota and uh, places like that. I mean, you never know where this thing can go and where it can lead. And we may never know until we get to heaven just how the Lord used it. So anyway, uh, let's be prayer warriors and let's uh, stand in the gap. Let's double up our efforts and make sure that prayerlessness is not named as one of our failures, not named as one of our sins. Let's be those kind of people who stand up for the Lord. Okay, we've been uh, going through Psalms on Wednesday night, and for several weeks we've been going through Psalm 79. We're down at the end of it, verses 11 through 13. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you. In other words, hear it, Lord. According to the greatness of your power, preserve those who are appointed to die. Verse 12. And return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom, or one translation says, into their laps, their reproach with which they have reproached you, O Lord. Verse 13. So we, your people, and sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. Well, I looked at that, and of course, when you read that last part of what Asaph has written, um, we get it. We get it. Uh, how to present it. I had several different things that, you know, they, they came to mind. But I wanted to uh, zero in on this, praying the burdens of God. Dr. Rob Finley uh, taught me years ago that if I will let my heart get burdened for what burdens the heart of God, then uh, we're on praying ground at that point. And so many times as humans, we're praying about things that affect us, that interest us, and are largely inconsequential in the big picture of things. Now, I don't mean to imply that God doesn't care about the little things in your life. He certainly does. But if we want to go deeper as an intercessor, if we want to go deeper and have more power in our prayers, we need to really get the focus off of us and the small things of life 
and put it upon the things that burden the heart of God. I think that uh, if I were to listen in on your prayer, if you're a typical Christian, typical Baptist anyway, I would probably find that 90% of your prayers focus on temporary and material things and things that aren't going to matter in 10 years. How did Jesus pray? And how did Jesus teach us to pray? And you remember he said to the disciples, pray in this manner, our Father which art in heaven, tells us we're praying to the one true and living God, hallowed be thy name and thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have all of that before we ever get to anything that concerns us. Then he does pray for daily bread, and he does instruct us to pray for forgiveness, and he does instruct us to pray for guidance and for leadership, doesn't he? He does instruct us to pray about our sins. But you'll notice in that prayer of the Lord, or the prayer that the Lord gave the disciples, notice it's plural. It's not just I, I, me, me type of praying. It's us, our sins, our daily bread, right? Our Father. And I think we forget about that sometimes to pray and to include other people. We make it all about us. I think the other thing is, too, we make it all about us and we forget about God. We don't really think that much about his name being hallowed. We don't really think that much about his kingdom coming. We don't really think that much about his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, make no mistake, his will is going to be done on earth. But Jesus is telling us that we ought to pray that as you are doing your will, may it be done just like in heaven. How's his will done in heaven? Well, in heaven, there's no opposition or resistance, is there? In heaven, everybody is a willing servant. In heaven, it's done perfectly the way, just the way he wants it done. And Jesus is teaching us that's what we ought to desire here on earth. The will of God, as revealed in the word of God, done perfectly and without opposition. Um, the God-focused purpose of that prayer, the God-focused uh, praying that we see in that is something that we need to learn. And that's what I see in here that Asaph did. And I started noticing that there are some themes in here in this prayer that God is evidently burdened about because he sure talks an awful lot about it in his word. Well, what's the first thing that Asaph prays that we could identify as something that burdens the heart of God, touches the heart of God, is on the heart of God. And the first thing would be simply this, and that would be we need to pray about injustice. You know, all through the Old Testament and all through books like Psalms and Proverbs and all that, things are about the unjust things that go on in the world. And also that God is condemning especially his people because they act in an unjust manner toward other people. 
And we uh, are no strangers to that. We all wonder what is going on when there's corruption in government, when there are things that people do, not because they're right, but because they um, have power, uh, they have money, they can get away with it. Um, all kinds of things happen. And we look and we say, that's not fair. That's not right. Some people have said now there's a two-tiered justice system in America, one for them and the other for us. And the they's that we're talking about, people with power, people with money, people with political connections, they can get away with things that we would never get away with. And I think about how many times there's been corruption with a political official and uh, we think it's going to go to court, something's going to be done, and then a judge refuses to hear it or they dismiss the case and we go, they would have crucified me if I had done the same thing. And there are other of the little people that have been, but not the rich and the powerful and all of that. That's injustice. With liberty and justice for all, is uh, what we strive for in this country. And we've never really made it there, but it used to be something that we would strive for. Not sure that that's the case anymore. And Asaph is concerned about the injustice that he sees. And he said, let the groaning of the prisoner come before you. Now, I don't think he's talking about criminals. I don't think Asaph is saying, let the murderers and the rapists, let them go free. I don't think it's that. They've been invaded by the Babylonians. The Babylonians killed a lot of people. They ransacked Jerusalem. It's in rubbles. It's in ruins. They took away the best and the brightest. And the temple is plundered and destroyed. What do you suppose the prisoners are that Asaph is praying for? I don't think they're criminals. I think they're political prisoners. I think they're the people that have been rounded up, put in uh, like a concentration camp, a prison, and that uh, they have no hope of getting out, probably going to be executed, have a life of, of misery, starvation. The Babylonians were particularly cruel people. And Asaph is praying for them because in his mind, it's far above what they really deserve. And he's asking God to do something about the prisoners. They may have been exiles who were imprisoned in Babylon for some reason. Maybe they refused to go along. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon, when they didn't bow before that idol, they were facing trouble, weren't they? And Daniel, he was facing trouble. And I wonder how many others that went to Babylon, that once they got over there, there were things they said and things that they did that uh, Nebuchadnezzar didn't care for. And so he rounded them up and uh, put them in prison. I think this is what Asaph is praying for. Prisoners who have been rounded up by the Babylonians on Israeli soil, where they were being occupied, or on uh, Babylonian soil as well. And so uh, this is not just about criminals. There's something else that he has in mind here. Now, when we uh, talk about 
the uh, second thing. Well, we've got to do this first. Remember Micah 6, 8. The ESV renders it a little bit different than the King James, but the thought is the same. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do, and the very first thing he says, to do justice and to love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Boy, we are so far from that. And that's the thing that Asaph was concerned about, doing justice. Secondly, we ought to be praying about those who are facing eternity. That always seems to be on the heart of God. He says, preserve those who are appointed to die. These are uh, people that are slated for capital punishment by the Babylonians. Now, the Babylonians like to torture people. They like slow, agonizing death. And as Asaph thinks about that, he thinks about those people who are Jews who have been taken prisoner and they're slated for capital punishment. And um, he's thinking about them. He's thinking about the fact that they're either going to get away with this and they're going to get out or they're going to die. Really only two um, possibilities there. And it reminds us that whether you're talking about a political prisoner, whether you're talking about somebody who is a criminal, or whether you talk about somebody who just lives a normal life like you and me, all of us are going to die. The rich and the famous are going to die. Politicians are going to die. All of us are going to die. And God cares about that. The Bible tells us that uh, God is a God of compassion and that God ministers to the dying even. In fact, in Psalm 116, verse 15, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know, that doesn't just mean that uh, God looks down and, you know, watches over what we're doing. It means that everyone's life and death especially his saints, believers, is precious in his sight. And to think of death, that it's going to take us out of the pain and the agony of these broken bodies and to take us into the eternal presence of God is an amazing thing. And to think that God doesn't just shrug his shoulders or look the other way or go, you know, no big deal, everybody dies. Death is a precious thing when life comes to an end as God prepares to welcome his saints home. And he's present with them during that time. And he has angels around them during that time. It's a special time agonizing for us, whether we're the person dying or whether we are the family members and friends standing around with our hearts broken in that agonizing but the Bible says to him it's precious. In fact, when God talks about the dying, he warns the people of Israel in the book of Amos, said, prepare to meet thy God. And everybody ought to be ready 
to meet God through death. But not only that, but he inspired Solomon in Proverbs 31, verse 6. What do you do for dying people? Just leave them out there to fend for themselves? Walk past them like they did on the road to Jericho for the man who was beaten and left for dead? No, actually, Solomon says, give strong drink to the one who is perishing. Now, the Jews biblically stayed away from strong drink. They considered that to be heathenistic and barbaric, far too intoxicating. Even their wine that they would drink was diluted with water and used to make the water that was not very good to make it palatable, to kill germs in it, to give it a little bit of taste and flavor. And um, strong drink was something here that Solomon says should be reserved for the dying. Morphine. Something like that. That helps somebody who has no hope of recovery to stay comfortable, to stay as pain-free as possible before they depart from this life. And so whether it's life or whether it's death, we see that God has his eye on this and God cares about it. Someone said about a person, well, it's so sad in Coven, they died all alone. Were they a believer? Oh, yeah. Well, then they didn't die alone. The Lord was with them. His angels were with them, and they were ushered into the presence of God. And uh, all of those promises of heaven, they are living right now because precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Render whatever aid you can and be compassionate, but uh, know this, ultimately, we can't save everybody and we're not even going to be saved from death. Everybody is going to die. Asaph is praying about that. So can I ask you a question? How many people are you praying for right now that are facing death and a Christless eternity? God's the only one that can turn that around. And we ought to be praying about that. Number three, we ought to be praying about God's reputation. This is very, very, very important. Uh, the Bible says in verse 12, and return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom, their uh, reproach with which they have reproached. I would have expected him to say us. I would have expected him to say, how dare they come into our land? How dare they take away our uh, brightest and best? How dare they ransack our temple? Oh, Lord, get them. But notice that he finishes it by saying, in the way that they've reproached you. Asaph is the beginning here of, I guess we would say, a revival. For the people of Israel to realize the captivity is on you. You sinned against God. You ignored the words of the prophets. You did what you wanted to do, and that's why you're being punished. But the restoration is on God. They would never be set free from Babylon had not God intervened. They would never return home. In fact, even today, Israel and the Jews would not exist if it were not for God and the will of God to preserve them. And so think about the fact that Asaph is praying 
for God's reputation to be restored. Now, in those days, as you recall, whenever uh, one nation invaded another nation and conquered them, the conquering nation assumed the reason that they conquered is because their gods were stronger than the nation that they conquered. So when Babylon would come in under Nebuchadnezzar, and they were able to not only conquer the kingdom of Judah, but ransack it, and they were even able to plunder the temple of their God, don't you know they walked away singing the praises to their false gods, to their idols, and thinking that Yahweh had been dismissed, he had been conquered, or maybe he was a coward and had run away and wouldn't defend his people. So Asaph prays about that. Lord, this captivity, this discipline, we brought it on ourselves, but it's hurting your great name. And you know what? God would agree with that because the Bible says, get to the right spot here, in Ezekiel, and it says this several times, Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. What's he talking about there? They were scattered into the nations in discipline. And whenever they went there, the nations, the Gentiles, the people who worshipped idols and false gods, just assumed that Yahweh couldn't keep his word, couldn't keep his promises. Oh, he brought the Jews into the land, but he couldn't keep them there. And God's name was profaned by their chastisement. Did you know that's true today? When you're under the chastisement of God, you're not a good witness for God. You're not a good advertisement for the things of God. You profane his name. And people use you as a reason to turn away from God. So thinking about that, God said to Israel, I'm about to act. You're going to go home. You're going to rebuild the temple. You're going to be restored into the land. But I'm not doing this for your sake. Understand that. I'm doing it for my sake because of the way that you have profaned my name. Boy, Asaph was right on target, wasn't he? And I think you and I, as we pray, we ought to always be mindful. Again, as Jesus taught us to pray, this is about the holiness of God, hallowing his name. This is about his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. This is about him ruling and reigning over the affairs of men. So it's got to be a God-centered thing. God is concerned about injustice. That's a real problem. Racism and discrimination and corruption and all of that stuff. God is concerned about those who are facing death, especially believers, right? And then thirdly, God is concerned about his reputation, how we present him here in life. And number four, about the faith of uh, future believers, future Israelis, future Jews. And we could say in our uh, day, future Christians. God always has the future on his mind. 
The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2 and said, The things that you have learned from me, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's supposed to be this ongoing thing that we learn, we share, they're blessed, and they share. And it goes on generation after generation after generation after generation until the Lord comes. Well, then here Asaph said in verse 13, So we, your people and sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks forever and will show forth your praise to all generations. Well, they sure didn't do a good job of it before the exile. And yet this is on the heart of Asaph, and this is what is on the heart of God. And so um, God wants his praise to be passed on. God wants his truth to be passed on. You were never intended to be a spiritual sponge just soaking up truth. You're supposed to be like a spiritual funnel who captures the truth and is able to then flow through you to somebody else. And the first line of discipleship, especially, uh, let me speak to the men, needs to be your family. Pray for your wife. Help her to grow. Pray for your kids. Help them to grow and be a good example of what that is like. Pastor your family. We need to think about people that are running our government. When I pray for America and I pray for the people that are running our government, the first thing I pray for is their salvation. When I think about friends and relatives and even people sometimes in the church, Lord, I'm concerned about their soul. I'm concerned about them. They don't seem to be showing any spiritual fruit. They don't seem to be overcoming sin. They don't seem to love you. I pray for their soul. And I pray that they would learn truth so that they would not be the missing link. They would not be the weak link in the chain because what started with God has been passed down through the prophets and through the apostles and all the way down to us. And we are to pass it on to other people so that it is that way until Jesus comes. And I want spiritual fruit in that area. I don't want to be the weakest link in that. This is on the heart of God in Psalm 78. I will open my mouth. This is also by Asaph. I will open my mouth in a parable. And I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. See, you're the recipient of all of these things. Don't hog it. Don't be like the Dead Sea with nothing living in you, just a collection of, of water. Pass it on. Pass it on. It's good for you. We have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. 
See the pattern? See the chain? You are responsible to teach about God and to teach the truth, the Word of God, to your children and to other people's children. This is something that is supposed to go on and on and on. It's not just a from the pulpit thing. Oh, yeah, that's important. And we're to preach the Word. It's not just a Sunday school teacher thing. That's important. But it's not, it doesn't stop there. It is your responsibility. Moms and dads and friends and neighbors, whatever you may be, to pass on the truth, to be a witness for Christ, and to help those who get saved to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. So with that in mind, 79's been a good psalm. Let those four things kind of challenge you in your prayer life. Do you ever pray about injustice? Do you ever pray for those who are facing death? Do you ever pray for God to be glorified and his reputation restored because of the things that you or we have done to ruin it? And um, do you pray for future generations? I don't know what the future holds for our country, but I do know that persecution is coming. Don't know when, but it'll be here one of these days. And it may be these kids in the nursery that have to face it. Are you praying for them? Kids in our children's department or our student ministry, they may, as much as we might criticize them and all of that, they may be called to pay a cost for their faith like you and I have never been called on to do it. We need to be praying for them and fortifying them and making sure that they are learning, making sure that they are growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. So with that being said, thank you for tuning in and thank you for watching. And I pray that the word of God will penetrate your heart, change your life. And my uh, sincere prayer is that your prayer life will be strengthened for the glory of God. Thank you. God bless you. And we'll see you on Sunday.